0: That's not the case for other L2s. Like, Optimism doesn't have fraud proofs. That's not an L2. (laughs) Like, if you don't have fraud proofs, you're not an L2. (laughs) Full stop.
1: All right, before we jump in, we have a quick deal on DAS tickets. It is Black Friday, aka Black Rock Friday. We are running a promo, 200 pounds, off of a four-pack of tickets. Today, the price is about 1,800 pounds. Final price after this discount blackrock empire is the code blackrock empire gets you 200 pounds off which is 1600 pounds also you book your ticket using blackrock empire you get a free blockworks t-shirt that's right a free blockworks t-shirt for the first 24 people who use the promo code so get it fast blackrock friday you can go to blockworks site blockworks.com forward slash das let's get into the show This episode is brought to you by the Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized oracle. Chronicle has developed a next-generation oracle primitive called Scribe, which reduces oracle gas fees on L1s and L2s by over 60%. You'll hear more about Chronicle later in the show. This episode is brought to you by NorthStake, the secure and compliant staking platform for institutional investors. NorthStake's ETH staking service lets institutions earn staking rewards while maintaining maximum flexibility on all of their capital. You can learn more about NorthStake's institutional staking services by clicking the link in the show notes or that QR code that is on your screen right now if you're on YouTube. Now, let's get into the show. Are you and your parents now? am i my uh, no i met my in-laws today uh-huh. there's, a, there's a chance they can hear us recording so we will uh say Fantastic.
0: only Obviously, they know you're in crypto right it's not gonna be a weird thanksgiving where like people i was like,
1: here i spent covid here <laughs> which was uh i will tell you COVID, 2020 for blockworks were uh some dark days our revenue fell we're an events business right so our revenue fell 80 yeah. percent literally uh-huh. overnight when the new york shut down conferences or and then the world shut down and they saw, they saw all that go down. So yeah, they've, uh, they know, they know I'm in group. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. It's, it's good to know that at least there's no yeah. surprises. You seem like you're in a good mood.
0: I mean, like who, what's, what's not the like, I mean, it would be disingenuous for me to say that like, you know, bull markets are always way more fun. I don't understand these people that say like, we, well, let's go back to a bear market. I'm like, no, no you clearly no. don't understand how bear markets feel and they make you question your existence. And you know, it's uh it's good you know there's some really positive developments that we're going to talk about here beyond price you know the the Binance action, um some developments with Coinbase um some new projects launching you know again you know we we've been doing this consistently every week uh, at least once a week and you know it's always a bit more fun when you
1: know you're not <laughs> questioning the- everything is better when numbers go up so yeah, absolutely here, here's Don't what I want to talk about. The two big things are Blast and Binance. Uh, Blast is the, an L2 that Pac-Man, the founder of Blur, launched. Um, and that I, I'm not even really sure if it's a spin-out or a separate company, but we can talk about that. Separate company. Separate company. Uh, and then Binance, um, you know, b- one of the biggest, actually, news announcement, I would say, of the year in crypto. Mm-hmm. It... Doesn't feel like maybe that big of a deal because I think a lot of people who are native to like crypto native kind of saw this coming potentially um, or knew something was happening here over the last couple of months. But nonetheless, still huge news for the industry. Um, It has a lot of second order implications. So Binance and Bullish or Binance and uh, Blast are the two big things. There's some other stuff like Kraken, SEC sued Kraken again, Uh, Pith launched their token. I think Pith um is a really interesting project Uh, we're actually gonna have the founder of pith on the show uh Mm -hmm. coindesk got acquired so that was also uh an interesting thing but i think those three things pale in comparison to both binance and blast so you want to start with binance
0: uh sure yeah take it away
1: yeah let's start there so um so this week uh binance agreed uh two big things with binance one is that uh binance agreed to uh plead guilty in a criminal charge related to knowingly violating the Bank Secrecy Act. Uh, they're paying more than $4.3 billion as part of the settlement agreement. This is the largest uh, penalty in U.S. Treasury history. Uh, if you break that down, I tried to find like how that $4.3 billion breaks down. The only thing I could find was $3.4 billion of it is a civil monetary Uh, penalty to FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes uh, Bureau within the Treasury. Uh, And that agreement comes with a five-year monitorship, which I think actually is important. Uh, Five-year monitorship and various agreements to kind of like bone up their compliance and ensure that the company completely exits the US. The reason I say that part's important is I think what that five-year monitoring means is that they actually are going to get for five years, like logs to everything that Binance does and all that kind of stuff, which uh, that's... I do wonder if this will have some second order implications for companies who have done business with Binance in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other part of the fine is they're paying us $968 million fine to OFAC, the Office of Foreign Assets Control. Mm-hmm. So that's the one big bucket is this million million fine.
0: It entails no involvement in Binance operations. for This is for CC. CC needs to step down. He has already. Um, he is paying a $50 million personal fine. Um, and then there's a sentencing date in March, I think, February or March, but he be- effectively pleaded guilty as part of that he's stepping down and paying 50 million. He can't be involved in Binance for three years. The question now remains, is he going to serve some like jail time or is it going to be like Arthur, right? Where it's just like ho- like house arrest for like 18 months or so. Right. I would think it's more like Arthur's type of sentencing um, because again, they they also face like these very similar kind of uh, uh, issues, right? Like uh, anti-money laundering and OFAC and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Binance. Uh, You're talking about the fi- 1.8
1: 8 and the 2.5 numbers.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. Binance was fined 1.8. Um, that was a discount for partial cooperation.
1: Um,
0: yeah. And that is paid over 15 months. And then the other component of the 4.3 is a 2.5 billion for sanctions. Like were like I think they just facilitated like money flowing into certain you know sanctions like Iran I,
1: I ran, I think was the, Iran was the yeah leader. Iran was
0: the biggest one, which by the way um arthur what was it uh, uh uh also faced similar issue with Iran right
1: yeah, so I think there's a couple of angles that are interesting here, so four point three billion um that they that they owe that's a that's the biggest he- the penalty in u s treasury history c z steps down um, and then also CZ got hit with $50 million in personal fines credited to the CFTC. couple of interesting maybe ways that we could go with this, which is one um, conversation about the markets. Is this good or bad for crypto? Um, so that's maybe where we could start. Other things are just like second order implications. Uh, mm-hmm. Also what like maybe what this does for Coinbase and other exchanges. Um, yeah, but yeah. maybe we can start with the markets. Like what do you think when you saw this happen? Um, what do you think in terms of like, bullish bearish neutral was kind of priced in like how do you think about this in relationship to uh kind of this cycle that's kicking off and is this good or bad for for the industry
0: my first reaction was immensely bullish like you just climb a huge wall of worry like there were people that were speculating binance like it was just unclear right um the impact that it would have i mean binance is the most important company in crypto it has been like it served a huge impact for retail adoption for projects listing, like the liquidity, like it, it was just. They started the,
1: the market. They, I mean, the 20, the fall 2019 market, which was a bull, there was that mini bull market inside the bear. That was a bull market specifically back, uh, on the back of the Binance IEO program. ILJ. They literally had the ability to, to move a whole market there.
0: Yeah, like I went to the Binance conference, one of their first in Singapore, met CC, he was super approachable. Like this was yeah. pre io My big thesis then was like longing exchange coins was a great bet in, in a market that is volatile, but choppy because exchange is profit in that type of environment. Um, but anyways, the news I think is immensely mm-hmm. <clears throat> positive for a couple of reasons. Of course, there's this wall of worry that we constantly have in crypto. And now there's a lot of clarity. Uh 4.3 billion is not um, you know, it, it is a large sum of money. I think it's the seventh largest fine ever paid <clears throat> to the US government. I think it's the largest to the DOJ, I believe. So they like in context, like there's like the other people like in this category, in this league table, are like Citigroup and HSBC, like the major banks, effectively. And then there's Binance as number seven, which is super impressive. Like this, I mean there's speculation about how profitable Binance has been but like in the order of like hundreds of billions or so, like, like a hundred billion or so. <clears throat> and so anyways, there was a couple of, immediately the market reacted negatively. Now today, 24 hours later, the market is actually, uh, you know, in the green and pumping pretty hard. Um, there was some outflow of Binance. I think it was like one north of a billion of outflows, 1.4 billion as a, as you know, couple hours into the announcement you know naturally some people worried or whatnot um and so i think it's it's very positive uh for the space that it also is positive because immediately after like there was a brian armstrong went on uh bloomberg and also had a good tweet of like hey we've served like like we've we've taken the long road approach here like it has been very difficult at times because we were in the u.s we tried like we've complied we haven't taken the you know, fast route, like as the DOJ kind of press release um, and said, you know, we haven't gone through this approach of, you know, move fast, like ask for forgiveness instead of permission, which was the kind of the Binance approach as they yeah. framed it. And Coinbase was like, we've always asked for permission first. And, um, you know, full disclosure, I'm very long coin Coinbase um, stock. Did,
1: did you buy more Coinbase after after you saw what happened to Binance?
0: Yeah, yesterday and today. Um, I've just been very, uh, like I woke up today to an an announcement of Coinbase that they were launching loans for institutional clients. And I tweeted about it today. I just think that Coinbase sees this incredible opportunity to be really the dominant player, Um, not just in the US, but like in crypto full stop and take a lot of the market share from fallen angels, you know, from you know, Genesis is no, no longer around. So now they've stepped in, and I think they're going to fill that gap of like facilitating a lot of loans and market making, um, along with Galaxy, but I think Coinbase in particular is. Well, is yeah, they're launching
1: international perps too. They, um, they launch international
0: perps. So that was a big revenue driver for for Coinbase and, uh, sorry, for Binance, for Binance and other exchanges. Yeah. They've um, expanded internationally. You know, they've gone to, they've been very vocal in their presence in the UK and other jurisdictions. Uh, And they've gotten licenses to, you know, serve these jurisdictions um, more easily. They've also obviously launched their L2, which is kind of the curated experience for users, 100 million plus, to enter into Web3. And I think if they're ever going to do that, they're probably going to enter it through Coinbase. And I don't think the market fully appreciates the revenue potential and opportunities, not only from a customer retention an acquisition standpoint, because all of a sudden your product, the suite of products that you offer just becomes more compelling, but also the monetization of said customers just has increased pretty dramatically. And I think the market is very critical of the stock and continues to be critical in the sense of, hey, spreads are going down, right? Revenue fees <clears throat> Are going down. Obviously, in a bear market, trading volume goes down, but also the percentage fee that buying that Coinbase has taken historically has been pretty fat, pretty high, and that over time goes down, right? With through competition, no different than like the stock brokerage uh, firms went through this kind of transition too. You know, you remember when like Robinhood and Wealthfront launched? They were saying like zero commission trades. Everyone freaked out. He was like, "Oh my god!" You know, the Schwabs of the world are going to go out of business. They didn't. They just found other ways to monetize. Um, yeah. And I think that's a similar transition the market is just going to wake up to um, in Coinbase's incredible revenue generation. And not to mention USDC. For the first time ever, they broke down the profitability of, you know, how much they're making actually on, you know, a, right. lot, of, a lot of customers hold the stablecoin called USDC. They're buying treasuries. They're earning some net interest um, on that which they're showing some to customers but they're taking some as well and so that I, all that combined is just um anyways my thesis for coin. i mean none of this is financial yeah yeah All right, so first,
1: so stuff. takeaway number 1 like uh, by the way i agree with you uh long long coinbase um that's takeaway number 1 takeaway and by the way coinbase i was looking at the revenue numbers 2018 520 million 2019 roughly the same i think it was like 480 2020 1.1 billion passed a billion in revenue for the first time Fast forward two years, 2022, $3 billion in revenue. This year, it's expected they'll do around the same, probably a little less than $3 billion. I think it's a coiled spring, but we'll see. I don't want to just come on here and pump Coinbase. So that's the first thing. Takeaway take is good for Coinbase. Second takeaway I would have is when you talk to people about the last remaining buckets of FUD in the industry, it was finance and Tether. Those were the two things. And uh, I think it's like you've basically heard this for, you've been in crypto for a while, a little longer than I have. Like you've heard this story before, which is crypto can't survive without insert thing, right? Whether it's Mt. Gox or BitMEX or FTX or Binance. And uh, I think Matt Hogan said it well. He's like, what people miss is that crypto is incredibly anti-fragile, right? And it's much bigger than any one trading venue. So um, I'm looking at the numbers here. Uh, Binance has... Is has roughly sixty percent of the total liquidity in crypto, and I don't know. I I just I, I think it's crypto is much more anti-fragile than anyone yeah. realizes. I mean, look so. to be
0: fair, finance will continue to operate.
1: Yeah, I saw people um, making comparisons to FTX, by the way, and I think it's just good to. These are two completely <laughs> different situations here. Um, I mean, one of them didn't misappropriate customer funds. These aren't the biggest. Compar- these aren't even comparable.
0: Yeah. Like like yeah, let, let's be very clear here the issues and the fines are related to uh binance's um finance fa- facilitating trade and flows in and out of sanctioned countries in the same way the bitmex like did right um it was not related to you know man, like being insolvent or any of that nature which is what ftx did right that's fraudulent activity yeah now, cz's bleeding guilty to that you know he said look we're a young company whatever like we should have done better we had better should have had better compliance policies in place yeah. yada 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 there's some implications to that um but it's it's night and day right um it would been think it way way worse yeah if, if there was insolvent the, the biggest concern was and look Binance like the biggest concern is like proof of reserves
1: like it was two add- things it was, it was that that was the the absolute worst was proof of reserves the second worst was a full binance shutdown there was basically yeah. four things that i think people were considering slap on the risk uh on the wrist kind of like this like neutral thing where nothing really happens a binance shutdown and then lack of proof of reserves like an ftx situation and this basically just uh i think the the last one would have been catastrophic to crypto the full binance shutdown probably would have been market nukes by like 40 50 percent this kind of like limbo phase would have been i don't know just kind of like where we're at right now and what we just got was i think it was uh jonah from cumberland or ex cumberland said he's like look this is a slap on the wrist slap on the wrist is a is a buy everything type of moment mm-hmm. um so people outside the industry i think were i got an a, a email from my uncle saying see this guy's going to jail what's probably horrible for crypto um and I think that's kind of the take from outsiders that this is another FTX moment, yeah, yeah. another criminal running a big thing and to people inside of the industry uh it's it's very exciting It's a big de-risking moment I think
0: And for context, binance has been producing proof of reserves for quite a while now you know of course they during like i think it was the proof of reserves of binance went live in November of 2022 People took object in the way they were managing that and whatnot, but they were producing proof of reserves for a while now. And that's not the case for what well, certainly wasn't the case for FTX. Um, and so, you know, there have been limitations. They've been improving the proof of reserves the way they reported that, you know, in February, 2023 for context, they did a major upgrade. They The, the developers implemented CK snark protocols um, on top of the core Merkle tree. Look, I don't want to get into all the mechanics, but, it's like an audit right there are a lot of components to a proof of res- like
1: yeah the wallet control of you can see the wallet's control about 65 billion dollars worth of funds i think this is a non a non conversation even I don't, I don't even yeah I'm,
0: like there, so. in the in the issue was of course during these moments of like walls of worry not just in crypto of panic as howard marks likes to say pendulums like swing to extremes whereas the, yeah. the actual reality of things they're never that extreme uh, of course, there's like fat tail events that can be catastrophic and destabilizing, like a global financial crisis or whatever, where where the wisdom of the crowd like just gets it wrong, uh, like a hurricane, something like that. But for the most part, like I think the market went from total euphoria to total skepticism and everything is FTX. And a lot of people, atoms of the world, just went on this ramp, like just went on this like they were traumatized by FTX because they were super bullish FTX and they were like caught up like oh shit you know like maybe I should have like been a little bit more cautious and then everything looks like FTX and that's like we should just kind of be more yeah. calm and objective yeah um and was it priced in I, no there was there's always in crypto some like crippling fear right because trauma is real for crypto ogs or anyone that's been here for a while like it's it's very hard to work through trauma and like move past it it will be very paralyzing yeah you know there are so many things that are overlooked in bear markets as they are in bull markets because of these traumatic moments you're just like you're in fear or you're operating from a place of You, of course, don't want to make the same mistakes, but I think that can be a bit paralyzing. Um, Now, that's a topic for a totally separate podcast, which sort of dovetails into what we were talking about in the prior episode of like how we position our portfolio, how you think about narratives that are being overlooked. I think there are so many of them. We're going to have Robbie from Immutable to talk about gaming, which I've talked about extensively here. But stuff like that, you know, you had Play to Earn, people, you know, Axie and so many other projects went through that kind of hype cycle they're now in despair and people are totally discrediting gaming it's like it's not gonna work guys i'm like okay is it really not gonna work like so anyways that that's just a market in in total trauma mode and it has been for quite some months and so this this news announcement i think is really impactful to kind of move past that trauma and more importantly one of the things that brian said in the in his interview, in, I think it was on Bloomberg, he said it, it now places a lot of emphasis on rulemaking. You know, let's actually have clarity, and I think there's been yeah. a lot of progress during the past year and a half or so. But now there's now that we have these big fine events, it's like all right, let, let's actually go back to the more important matter at hand, and craft rules, very clear rules and regulations so that it allows, you know, folks like Coinbase and Binance to operate, you know, within the law. And and I think that's going to be the major theme over the next year or so, right? Of yep. course, there's elections coming up, but I think that's really now, I think now regulators, look, they brought enforcement action against Kraken, which is a bit of noise, and they keep punting and delaying resolution on the Coinbase front and on the ETF stuff but they're kind of running out of like excuses not to provide clarity to an industry that time and time again, it's like, okay, maybe we didn't operate within the lines. We paid this huge fines. Okay. But like the intent is very positive, even from, from players like Binance. It's like, all right, you know, we want to do right. We believe in the technology, let's just like get to a place where we have clear rules. Right.
1: Yeah. Now, um, the only downside that I could see from from a lot of this is that uh, so it, SEC is clearly getting weaker and weaker. They keep losing these cases. They kind of went after this like what I would say a foolish Kraken case after they already settled with Kraken earlier in the year. Um, however, the I, th- I think it was Yellen said, or the the other person who spoke, the DOJ guy, I forget I forget who that was, but uh, said if if you are operating a DeFi company. And I don't know if you watched that talk, but it feels like they're kind of signaling what they're coming after next. And it it does feel like as the SEC gets weaker, potentially the DOJ is getting stronger here, or and or coming after crypto a bit more. And I would have to imagine that. Um, so they've gained access to a lot of the code from Binance um, and a lot of the messages and 100 percent of the logs. Uh, the only explanation for 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 that, and if you what you said in the very beginning of the show, which is he complied, so the dollar value was. Dollar amount was lower. CZ negotiated this treaty. I would say it's probably pretty likely the DOJ. This is the first of a couple of DOJ things that they start bringing yeah, on companies. And that's probably the downside of this.
0: Yeah. Like any sort of type of bad actors that have sent funds to Binance or whatever. And maybe that allows intelligence units to, you know, or, or like DOJ to to work on probably enforcement actions or cases that they have open but they haven't really gotten full resolution, but now that, you know, a lot of flow has gone through finance. And so now it's, you know, folks like even like Zach, right. He flags, Hey, like these addresses, people buy these addresses and KYC addresses. And then, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I think that now that they have this data, historically, yeah. I think it may be easier for them to, to build the cases, uh, which I think is a good thing. Like, you know, if you've been doing shady or fraudulent stuff and you've been working with an exchange, Good luck. Like those are the. things. St- I have no problem with that. That's very positive for the space. I don't fully appreciate the DeFi stuff. I, I want. I'm. I'm refreshing my memory on the pod, the um, latest regulatory pod with Rebecca and Jake. And I saw Rebecca recently in person. Um, there have been proposed pieces of legislation that are could be very damning for DeFi, like the traveling rule and some of this stuff that would make it almost impossible to interact in DeFi and pools of liquidity, if not everyone's yeah. KYC'd and whatever. Like, I just want to remind people, like, we hear this, but like, it, uh, an agency, my understanding is, an agency might have an opinion, a particular, but that doesn't mean it's law. And it unless, and until it's law and passes no, the legislation, yeah. it could be, like, there's a heavy commenting period for a lot of these new bills that, that are, you know, crafting regulation for the different pieces of crypto. Of course, DeFi is important in some of these bills, but these bills haven't been like passed. And there's a, uh, there's a, people should go listen to that episode because it is super important. If if you're listening, if you're running DeFi protocol, if you're a fan of DeFi, interestingly, CZ said that he wants to spend more time, like looking at DeFi. Great. And if, if you're wondering, like there is, um, there's a great way to get involved. Right. And comment on these bills because they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Like they, they missed the mark on so many things, like the stablecoin bill and, and some of these other bills. So yeah, like time and time again, they bring DeFi into the limelight of like, Hey, you know, especially like the CFTC or the SEC, right. Because you know, it's uh they're yeah. trading on like closer to the regul. there's clear regulations for like financial firms, right? But the biggest thing, like for instance, when FTX went down, everyone was like, you know, this is why we we need to shut down DeFi. I'm like, well, no, like I think they peeled it back in a bit. And the rhetoric was peeled back as well in the sense that like DeFi is not FTX. In fact, if FTX were operating as a true DeFi protocol, it would never happen. You know, Aave... Right has been insolvent. Like there's, you know, insurance funds that may be impacted if there's bad debt, but it's all on chain. It's all transparent. So anyways, uh, a, a long ramble, but uh, I'm not surprised that they make those comments. Um, you know, we have to also appreciate it's an people, we're, we're going into an election year and during election years, politicians always want to, you know, they're looking out for themselves. Right. And they want to make headlines and Crypto is a great opportunity and has been for people to make headlines. Yep. That doesn't mean it's the law. That doesn't mean it's the interpretation of the court. It doesn't mean it's the sentiment of the overall government. So I'm, I'm just going to say that because it's important, right, when we hear these headlines. Like the New York Times of the world is always going to report and always take the most negative spin as They have been doing on things. That's what my read crypto. the New
1: York Times thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. criminals going to jail. Uh and by the way, what is a crypto exchange? Yeah, so yeah. It
0: was- yeah. Hey, meanwhile, they're taking the, the softest stance on the whole Israel-Gaza situation. No, yeah, no, no. That's not like report with the true veracity, you know, there, right? It's just a bunch of idiots.
1: Um speaking of uh I don't know. I was just going to try to use a bunch of idiots and pivot into blast. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah yeah. But um uh Joseph told me I have to read I have to I messed up our ad read for for the Digital Asset Summit. So uh, Did you really? I, have to, I have to do it live, which is that um it's Black Friday when you're listening to this and we have Black Rock Friday at Blockworks here. Instead of Black Friday, we got Black Rock Friday. So uh you get 20% off four packs of DAS tickets. Uh people were reaching out to us saying, "Hey, we want to buy tickets for our whole team." Uh, so we launched these things called four packs, and if you go, I think the code is BlackRock Empire on the DAS page. So if you enter BlackRock Empire, you will get twenty percent off. Is that because BlackRock is sponsoring it, or we got an announcement coming soon? You'll see. Uh, I mean, I guess it's related to BlackRock. <laughs> <laughs> i I played the truth on that one. I just, I just read what Joseph tells me to read, man. I don't, I don't. Joseph is our producer. He's a great guy. He's a great Thank guy. You everything yeah. you do.
0: Um, <laughs> that's right, Um yeah well L- london uh it's gonna be great
1: All yeah right, i'm planning it on is there. It is. it's gonna be great um let's talk about blast why don't yeah. i tee up the blast conversation um please do, do
0: and i'm just gonna say i'm i'm biased here folks i'm an investor i was an early seed investor in blur i also invested in blast so everything I mean, that i say here has blast has-
1: website and your face is on the homepage. So. How uh, is it <laughs>
0: so i can tell this i can tell the story how this came together and um and we're gonna have uh pac-man we had him very early on his building blur we're gonna have him on again um he is catching up on sleep but he'll come on soon
1: yeah Great. Um, all right, why don't I why don't I tee up this conversation from from an outsider's point of view and just what I saw on Twitter and stuff like that. And then and then I'd love to hear the backstory of this. So Blast is an L2 created by uh, Blur and by Pac-Man, who who's also the founder of Blur. If you guys remember, Blur was an NFT marketplace that um, challenged some of the ideas of what it looks like to trade NFTs, took on OpenSea, gained a lot of volume and market share relative to OpenSea uh, re- maybe a year ago, a little more than a year ago. So Pac-Man said. I came out with this tweet the other day, he said, look, um, I can just read it directly. It says, uh, basically, Blur wanted to build on L2. There wasn't a good L2 that they could find that had some of the things that they wanted. Specifically, that thing was native yield on on the chain. So he said, look, if, if it doesn't exist, I can go build it. So the basic premise behind Blast is that they're offering native yield on assets like ETH and stable coins. And um, I think what this means is they're basically doing two things. One is they're participating in ETH staking. Any assets, any ETH that's been bridged over to to Blast uh, uh, basically gets a yield. Uh, And they're doing this in two ways. They participate in ETH staking. And two, they're sending stable coins to protocols uh, like like Maker, right, to bring uh, that T-bill yield on chain again via folks like Maker, which is then passed through to uh, to users of um to to users of uh, of the Blast L2. And for folks who really criticize this on on Twitter, um, this idea of like an L2 with native yield, um, I think it's important to just look at the amount of capital that's sitting on L2s without any yield, right? So if you look at something like so, when you bridge ETH, for example, um, to another L2, you send ETH to a bridging contract. And uh, it kind of mints ETH, kind of like a receipt token on the L2. However, all that ETH is typically not staked, right? For example, the Arbitrum Bridge has about last time I looked, two or two two and a half or three billion dollars of ETH sitting there. Um, so, if you let's say let's say we use that two and a half billion dollar number, if all that ETH were staked, earning four percent, that means that Arbitrum could. Arbitrum and/or Arbitrum's users, depending on how they want to allocate it, would be earning an extra hundred million dollars in, in ETH per year. Um, so I think th- I think that's basically the thesis: is that um, and we've seen this before too with with Gnosis. So Gnosis launched their own chain. They stake all of the die, um, and that earns five percent. And as a result, like die stakers on Gnosis earn this like five or six or seven percent yield. So if you assume that maybe a hundred million dollars of stables are bridged over to Blast. Let's call it fifty million gets staked. The rest is sitting in wallets or maybe used in DeFi. If one hundred million is is earning five percent, um, or let's say fifty million is earning five percent, you're you're looking at a, a you know two and a half million dollars that's going back to either the Blast Protocol or to users. So that's the that's the high level overview um, that I would say. But maybe give me the give me the and we can talk about the the reaction, which was both. I saw some very positive reactions very negative reactions as well. Um, been about 40 or $50 million of liquidity that's been bridged over already. But what, what what's the backstory here? How did Pac-Man approach investors? Like as much as you're open to sharing here, Santi?
0: Yeah, so uh, for context, my first interaction with uh, the Blast team was like, I didn't know it was Pac-Man. It was sort of, I was introduced by a good friend of mine um, who actually brought me Blur. Um, hmm. and so. Again, uh, she has a good relationship with Pac-Man. And so she's like, hey, you ought to talk to, you know, I know you invest in infrastructure. You just got to take a look at this L2. My first reaction was, do we need another L2? And I had a long discussion with Pac-Man at the time. Like, I didn't know it was him on the other side. I, then, of course, I knew later on, but. You had a call with uh,
1: someone um, and there were. Like, it, was like,
0: it was like, he went by pseudo. I was like, okay, well, fine. I'm, I'm going to take the call. So I took the call and I was like, my first question is, I'm just going to stop you. Why do we need another L2? And, you know, I'm an investor in others. Uh, L1's and L2. And so he's like, well, because none of them have, like, native yield. And I said, like, can you unpack that? No pun intended. And, and and um, and um, you know, he went through, like, the, what you just referenced, right? I was like, well, how easy, like, one, why have current L2s not done this? And how easy is it would be for them to kind of just adopt this standard? And they're like, well, they kind of have to re-architect it because a lot of these L2s have been in development for a long time. It's like, all right, fair. Um and and so of course then and we'll reference the tweet you know the the idea to do blast really starts to make sense when you understand that they've you know they face these challenges when building blur um and again for context like a lot of people deposit eth into these pools um you know kind of waiting for some sort of event where they can at some point swap for NFTs, but they're earning some yield. They're earning some like they're earning some points. They're, they're it's an incentivized pool, if you will, these kind of blur seasons, but they're not earning like native ETH yield by staking it on Lido, for instance, or some other, you know, um LST. And they're not earning yield on stable coins. And so I, I think that alone is a very compelling value prop. And one of the things that I've always been impressed by Pac-Man is he's one of those founders that, like every good founder, has very one-liner to crystallize exactly why they're doing. When we had him on early on, he said, traders need a dedicated venue to, like active traders need a dedicated venue to trade NFTs. And that's not OpenSea. And I'm going to build that for them. And he was just very focused on that, right? which i think is 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 a hallmark of a great founder. and in in this case i think this l2 is directly informed by the experience that they've had and the challenges that they faced and the feedback that they've gotten from the customers which by the way they've gotten a lot of traction. um and you know blur in my opinion and i'm biased of course because i'm also an investor it is the dominant nft like marketplace. um and venue especially for traders like um and so um yeah, you know, I think that they're so. So that I don't know if you want to dig more into that. Um, I participate in the round. You know, I plan to help them as much as I can.
1: You know, I have of a course- question. On the, I have a question on the round here. So when I was reading it, it said um, I, I originally thought that they raised twenty million dollars from like Paradigm and Standard, but then it said they raised twenty million. Uh, contributors of Blast have raised twenty million from. And it seemed like they were kind of wording that carefully to say like it doesn't really mean blast, but the contributors of the contributors of blast and like I think a lot of a
0: lot of invest early investors in Blur ended up participating in the round. I, of course um, it was it was led by paradigm and standard. You, was this a right.
1: separate was this actually a separate round or was this the money that Pac-Man raised for Blur also got included in Blast?
0: No, my understanding is this is no so this is a separate like round for Blast. Mm. and it has a lot of the same investors in blur but also new investors um of course mm. paradigm was an early backer of blur and now uh i think through their relationship with pac-man led the mm. round standard so i understand it was not involved in blur early on yeah. maybe they they have they've like <clears throat> but anyways um it's, it was those two funds and then a whole host of like the blur like the blur round was a lot of people active in nft trading in the community and in a similar manner i think that he took a lot of the same playbook and invited a lot of uh you know people that participated in this round were people that have have known him he liked a very
1: native crypto the very it was you know hasaka and e-girl and uh, i saw you know folks like leshner were tweeting out what what is the how did that go down was he was there a telegram chat with just all the you know blast investors and he's like all right like 2 p.m on a monday we're ripping this tweet out or i committed um before um and then
0: yeah now joined like a a group of all the investors just to coordinate you know and you know stay on top of announcements and developments uh and it's a lot of people i know um and so um
1: yeah All right, everyone. So we talk a lot about the institutions coming into crypto on Empire. Santi and I are both headed out to London March 18th to 20th for BlockWorks' eighth ever digital asset summit, DAS. This is an institutional buttoned up conference that we've hosted since 2019. I like to joke that it is probably the last remaining kind of suit and tie event in crypto. People are still wearing suit and tie. It's pretty funny. But you'll actually hear from a lot of the largest institutions in the world coming from Standard Charter, FIS, JP Morgan, Framework folks coming out, Wintermute, Van Eck, Goldman Sachs. There are a couple big themes of this conference. One, Bitcoin catalyst, the having and the spot ETF. Two, a view from the buy side. Three, RWA's token and stable coins for Global regulatory frameworks. Five, institutional infrastructure, including banking and payments. And six, the macro case for crypto. If you have anything to do with the institutional side of crypto, you have to be there. Santi and I got your back. We hooked you up with a 20% off code. It is EMPIRE20. There is a little competition running internally at Blockworks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So help Santi and I out. Register with our code and you get 20% off. That is EMPIRE20. This episode is brought to you by The Chronicle Protocol, a cost-efficient, transparent, and decentralized Oracle that gives protocols verifiable on-chain data. For the frequent listeners of Empire, you know that we talk a lot about MakerDAO. Well, Chronicle Protocol is a novel Oracle solution that has exclusively secured over 10 billion in assets for MakerDAO and its ecosystem since 2017. And for the first time ever, Chronicle's Oracle services are now publicly available. Why should you use Chronicle? It's simple. Chronicle offers a 60% reduction in gas fees for all of their leading Counterparts Also, super cool, they have unparalleled transparency when it comes to Oracles. Chronicle offers a dashboard that allows anyone to track the genesis and trajectory of the data it provides. This is the first time ever that an Oracle has made all of its data verifiable, setting a new standard for the accessibility of on-chain data. Endorsed by a network of the most revered validators, including Etherscan, Infura, Gitcoin, DYDX, and MakerDAO, Chronicle is the epitome of security and reliability. Reliability in the oracle space. It's time for a paradigm shift in oracle development. You can learn more about Chronicle at chroniclelabs.org. Big thanks to Chronicle for sponsoring Empire. Today's episode is brought to you by NorthStake, the secure and compliant staking platform for institutional investors. NorthStake is purpose-built for institutions that want to enable the ability to move in and out of staked ETH seamlessly while controlling all aspects of their fund management. NorthStake's tokenized ETH staking service offers institutions easy, low-risk crypto yield opportunities. complies with both AML and Mika regulations, making it possible for institutions to tap into Ethereum's growth and earn staking rewards even through these pretty turbulent regulatory times in crypto. If you are an institutional investor seeking compliant crypto exposure and yield, NorthStake streamlines that all for you. To get started, head over to northstake.dk forward slash tokenized hyphen E hyphen staking. I know you're probably not going to go to that long URL. So just click the link in the description of the episode. That'll take you right to North Stake's site. Or if you're on YouTube, scan the QR code on your screen right now. Now let's get back to the episode. All right. Can I run some of the pushback by you? And you yeah, tell of me. Course. All right. Like so it launch- wasn't a perfect launch. I'll,
0: you know, and we can dissect that as much as.
1: Well, we want, I would perfect. actually argue it was a phenomenal launch.
0: Um, well, not perfect, I said. Yeah. Nothing really is ever. But I, for all there, there's some reasons why it went very well, and there's some things that I think could have been improved.
1: There were there was a messaging problem, I think. I'm just gonna read one of this one of these users' tweets. They're very clearly aware of that, i.e., compare how they talked about ETH, ETH itself is natively rebasing versus stables, USDB blast auto rebasing stablecoin on their website from the website. Users transact in ETH. DApps are built around ETH. Blast was designed from the ground up so that ETH itself is natively rebasing on the L2. This is simply false. It is not ETH itself. It is something similar to STEETH, um, and not making the distinction is reckless. So, what do you think about that idea that they were? They're basically saying ETH is rebasing, but really, it's not. It's not actually ETH here. Um, yeah, like they're working with Lido on the back end, right? Like,
0: <clears throat> the way it works is <clears throat> it's a one-way bridge at the moment. You deposit some ETH into the contract, and I think they very clearly said you're not going to have this ETH available until we launch, uh, like in February. Uh, so that I think was clear. It was really the messaging that was where people took object, and you know, it's fair criticism. The risk, um, the
1: think, risk-free messaging, or what, yeah, what kind it was of- really
0: that. It was really that that I think. You know, I just don't think you should ever use that word in crypto.
1: The word like, risk-free rate, yeah, yeah.
0: It's just, uh, I mean, I will like, say it was
1: good to see like people calling out. I, that was one of the things that hopefully one of the learnings as as an industry of calling out what people perceive to be bad actors. And I'd rather have people perceive that something like this is bad, and then have them execute and show that show them that they're that they're not a bad actor. Um, I think what people were really panicked about was. Um, Like what it sounds like is they're taking user funds and investing them, right? They're doing, they're working with Lido on staking, but they're like taking basically user assets, investing them into T-bills and that's, they're calling it risk-free. So that's not like T-bills are very low risk, but like there's still smart contract risk. There's a bunch of other risks. Um, So it's not, it's not really honest to to call it a risk-free rate.
0: Yeah. Maybe look at wave one, do this again. You say, Hey guys, look, this is the mechanism by which we're going to earn your yield. Yeah. And here are the risks, here's the, how it works, and we're going to build. And, uh, you know, here's, you know, like, just could have been a bit more upfront. And And this is a message for any protocol, right? Um, you know, I think <clears throat> uh, more emphasis on that would have been appreciated. And I think that would have gone a long way. So, you know, I think that the team realizes that. And, and you know, yeah. one of the things that, like with Blur, you know, you never get these things 100% right. But, <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I would have emphasized that a bit more versus like how the mechanism for earning points works, which look at things important, like incentivizing people to, to do that and whatnot. Um people are very quick to um call it like a Ponzi pyramid scheme. I'm like, look, there's a difference between a Ponzi like a Ponzi. Like there's a difference between a pyramid scheme and a multi and multi-level marketing. And this goes back to a fight uh that has happened not only in crypto but like you know Herbalife as an example. Like Ackman I can, and I can, can enter the chat yeah. And the difference, and I don't think, so, so you know what the difference between um, MLM, multi-level marketing, and a pyramid scheme
1: is? I, I actually, I have a lot of experience with this. Yes, I do. I remember <laughs> watching these. <laughs> so? Uh, another boring. day, my friend. story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, actually, I'm
0: going
1: to There's, I'm, I'm
0: gonna, I'm gonna bookmark there's there. actually
1: a technical definition of it, um, which is. is that, yeah, a, cert, a cert, for a pyramid scheme to be, for something like Herbalife and Amway to be legal, a certain number of investors are a certain number of people actually have to be using the product, um, actually have to use the product instead of just buying it to then flip on someone else. So right. the reason why Amway is able to still exist is and Herbalife and all these folks is uh, enough, people people use the have, product. enough people actually it's buy the a, product. It's, it's or, like a
0: real product. Now yeah, exactly. Point, like you, you, you maybe would have said these vitamins don't work. It's expensive piss, yada, yada, yada. But it's a product that people use. And as, right. as long as it's that and you're selling that, It's a multi level marketing and it's okay. Um, Now, you might have disagreements with that and how people are pushy and who's being targeted. But if you're selling a real product, that's multi level marketing. It's not a pyramid scheme. A pyramid scheme is when someone sells you stuff that is vaporware. It's like there's no product behind
1: it. Right. Yeah. And
0: so, yeah, in this case, Hmm. you could argue look, they're building a real product, they're going to deliver on that in February. If they never deliver a product, that's the issue that every crypto <laughs> protocol faces, right? But this is a team that's actually like they're they're phenomenal builders, and so um I that's where I predicated my thesis, um, and you could see that in the work that they've done with Blur, like it's just a phenomenal product. And so again, um, you know, we can talk about issues with L2s and you know modular, monolithic, like all that stuff is an interesting discussion that. We, it's 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 very relevant, um, and the construction of the L2, and you know the important things that one should look at when you're deciding whether to interact in an execution environment. Like, what are the things that matter the most? Which means, so th- that's like the more interesting, nuanced discussion that should happen absolutely all the time, not just with Blast, but like with Optimism, with Arbitrum, with every other L2, with other any L1. Like, and I think people get kind of caught up in the drama and the noise. And I, I'm happy to go through it now. I, I tweeted about this today, and the most important thing for an L2, in my opinion, is like that you can verify and like validity and verification of of an execution of a block. If you can't do that, run away. Like it's an issue.
1: Well, let me ask you this then: Why didn't Blast just do the? harder thing and wait like they basically deployed as an as an l as an l like they just they're just a, a deposit with a multi-sig right? correct yeah Th- that's um, what
0: it is at the moment
1: yeah it's just a deposit with a multi-sig and the idea is like hey we're we're gonna obviously build this down the road um why did they actually just wait and deploy as an l, as a as a as an l2 that's
0: a great question i mean i think it's yeah. again like you yeah, they could have done that i think i didn't directly ask the question. Yeah, but. Um, this is something we should definitely discuss when he comes on, Pacman, yeah, my intuition is that you know you just sort of um, like a lot of projects too you know you you want to attract liquidity and and lock it in from day one you want to have all these kind of users yeah um because that's really the the most important thing like a lot of if you look at other launches across ecosystems like there's this idea of an incentivized test net. And get all these builders. You know, it, from a BD perspective, let me ask you a question. If you're, because now Blast has over a hundred million in TVL deposits. They're there. So if you're working a BD of Blast and you go to teams and you say, hey guys, we're building this L2. We're the team from Blur. We have a lot of experience. Trust us, we're going to build it. Do you want to deploy on us? They're like, you know what? Call me when you actually launch and you have a testnet. Because we have the ability to do other stuff right now you can go on some of the other l2s but now the discussion is much more it's it's different when you say hey guys we have all this interest and it's there and people are taking this and willing to lock up their capital because they're excited about who's behind it and who's building it do you want to come and build in tandem with how we like build this l2 and i think that's really the more important thing is you know the worst thing is having a product that you know from day one like you bootstrap these networks you want to have supply and demand right and a lot of that hinges on having stuff to do on the l2 yeah like the, some of the most successful launches like Arbitrum, did it exceptionally well where they just really did a great test mm-hmm. net where they had a lot of developers open like open, any developer could come and build um and i think now that that's a you know blast is in an interesting situation where i think their ability the bottom line is i think the the ability for them to attract builders which is fundamental for this to be competitive and you know actually yeah. you know, be very differentiated um is the reason why i think they launched it in this manner where they opened a gate to have open interest and signal their intent to kind of interact in the cell too and look you know we talk about like you can stake eth you can stake uh, stables, but also you can lock your blur um as well. And so season two yeah. of blur just ended and a lot of people got the airdrop. You know, price action today the I mean, blur's up like over 40%. And I think a lot of the there's a lot of interest in in people that you know are very active in Blur to now participate in the cell too. And look, of course it's incentivized. Like, you know, like that's like the nature of crypto. You incentivize test nets and you have incentivized, you know, and you have airdrops like, you know, so anyone that's kind of critical of that, like, okay, well, you know, we are in a space of incentives and you have to incentivize people to come over, you know, and, and I don't see a problem with that. I think this is a very creative way of doing it. Um, you know, the narrative was not perfect for sure. The language was not perfect for sure. Um, and that's, I think something that could definitely be improved.
1: Yeah. Like it's not risk free. I know you're really close All with them. that. Yeah. I know you're really close with the Arbitrum guys and like Steven and stuff. It's, it's, uh, yeah.
0: And Steven came out with great tweets. I mean, and again, time and time again, he's been saying, guys, like there are, his point
1: like, is you have to be very honest and yeah. have a very open conversation about what is an L2 and what is actually secured by Ethereum. And like, I think, like, um, we so, we've, yeah.
0: look, I, I've had private discussions with Steven and he's, Now he's more open about it. But for a long time, he was like, imagine the frustration of a team that's been building since, you know, quietly, since the early days of Ethereum from, you know, in in Princeton. And no one kind of really knew Arbitrum. When I led the round, when I was a Parafide and then like as personally invested, it was not very well known. It was like, why have you guys taken all these years to build this L2? Like, this was like 2015, 2016. And the reality is it's like incredibly difficult to get it all right. Like to build fraud proofs like, and, and okay. There are people take issues like, Oh, you know, your sequencer is not decentralized. Yeah. But you're in L2. Like you don't need a decentralized sequencer to have like decentralizing the sequencer is something that people like look at and say, Oh, there's just one entity running the sequencing, but that doesn't compromise. Like that has issues with censorship. Of transactions, but if you have fraud proofs, you can very clearly contest that and yeah. go back to the L1 and settle that. Right now, that's not the case for other L2s. Like Optimism doesn't have fraud proofs. That's incredibly diff Like that. That is. That's not an L2. <laughs> like if you don't have fraud proofs, you're not an L2. Full stop. Like,
1: and I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> like, but then why? But then why? Like, why is it okay that for? like why, why support blast but not support optimism well, because they're gonna build it, yeah,
0: like this is something that I will push all day long if I don't see fraud proofs in l two I just can't rally behind it now they're in development, right um I had other kind of concerns around um uh, blast like how scalable is this earning yield? what are the dependencies when you're earning yield, and there are some right? You have to, and, but maybe long-term, this is really good because if you just have, maybe that this allows for other, you know, um, validators or or like LSEs to gain more traction if you incentivize them, right. And, and, and pull away from a lot of the dominance of Lido and maybe this attracts other, you know, real world asset protocols to gain much more like Ondo and some of these others that are... So that I think is positive. Of course, the the strategy has some capacity constraints of earning yield, or like maybe the, there's a degradation in yield because yeah. again, a lot of a lot of this capital that is in L2 is just not earning any yield, and has this constant trade off. Now you theoretically remove that trade off, you allow native yield in L2. Of course, that has an implication on the amount of ETH that is staked, and where it's staked, and where it's earning yield. And I think that's positive, uh, but it also impacts, you know, the aggregate yield of the network, right? Because if more ETH is being staked, well, then by default, the staking yield goes down, right? But then there's always this trade-off um, of mm. at some point the yield, the native ETH yield goes to a point where the relative attractiveness is going farther out in the risk spectrum of buying treasuries through a maker or some other protocol that is facilitating that becomes better but it becomes greater and so naturally there's this kind of fluctuation in the risk free rate, which is again I'm going to use that term to talk about the the benchmark rate is probably the better terminology here the benchmark rate is the eth staking yield and that's going to always be the opportunity cost that you're gonna take relative to doing other stuff that is farther on the risk spectrum because theoretically staking
1: eth um is this mm-hmm. That yield is like the lowest risk. So let me, let me tell you why. Let me just tell you why this scares me, Santi, a little bit. Just I know I'm just to play devil's advocate yep. here. The reason this scares me is because, um, all right. So if you look at all the innovations with L2s, they've either been technical or, um, or like so uh, technical innovations or like I guess I'd call them social innovations or like uh, industry focus innovations. So you could either add differentiators in the way that you're adding like fraud proofs or zk tech or something like that or you could focus on maybe a privacy-first L2 or uh, gaming-first L2. And what this is doing, and I think the reason it got a lot of pushback is this isn't saying, hey, we're going to build an L2 with better tech or with a focus on gaming or anything like that. We're making actually uh, uh, crypto-economic adjustments instead of technical adjustments and social adjustments. We're making crypto-economic adjustments. And I actually think Pac-Man's one of the best founders in all of crypto. And I think he'll do, I think, Blast specifically. Like, Blast itself, probably will be one of the most uh i think probably talked about l2s in 2024 however what this does and i think the like i think what this does is it forces all the other l2s to start making crypto economic tweaks and adjustments and what that reminds me of is what ended up blowing up the 2021 cycle which was you had like really legitimate lenders like take blockfi blockfi was a really legitimate company but they started they had to compete with someone like celsius and Celsius was not legitimate. And so uh, they like Celsius started having these, like essentially what we now know of uh, uh, were, were fake yields. They were artificially inflated yields. So you had like 9% yield on Celsius. And then if you're BlockFi, you're a venture back company, you need to get more users. Your real yield should be like three and a half, let's call it. But you had to pull <laughs> it up to six and a half or seven and a half percent. And that ended up blowing up an yeah. entire.
0: <clears throat> to, to be fair, that. That um, risk-seeking behavior was, I think the issue was in this connectivity between TradFi applications and DeFi and the carry trade that a lot of people depositing institutions were doing. They were promising a particular yield to their customers, the BlockFi, Voyager, um, Gemini, Earn, um, and who else, like you name it. But let's just stop there. Sure. And the issue was that they didn't know their counterparty well enough. They didn't do enough risk uh, and due diligence, risk assessment and due diligence to understand where that yield was coming from. And as I will always say, and I think I coined this phrase, "Was if you don't understand where the yield's coming from, you are the yield. And I think they didn't properly understand where the yield was coming from. And they're earning their, they're, to your point, they did get caught up in this competitiveness. And I want <clears throat> to, you know they're always looking at oh if voyager is offering 4% on eth i need to offer 4.1 and then you know at some point that that music stops because there's right. so much
1: but capacity. this is going to happen in L2s like L2s well, L2 competition was not that intense a year ago now it's super look it's like, it's, but complex. it's a different i i agree
0: it's different type of i think the the nuance here is like you understand where the yield is coming from in this case like it's all on chain and well yeah. well it cannot well it can it's all on chain in the sense of like like if all of a sudden l2 is telling you they're just going to give you 15 percent on your staked eth you're like uh like no
1: i don't think users care where their eth is coming from is the problem the yield this, is coming from so where their yield is coming from and that's the problem and it was the same problem with like Right now, the yield for blast comes from ETH staking and treasuries. Like those are very legit and won't blow anything up. But in a super competitive, let's fast forward 18 months, ripping bull market, hundreds of millions being pumped, billions being pumped into L2s and venture money. Um, uh, L2 space is the most competitive space in all of crypto. The yield then goes from like, hey, we're offering 4% yield to, hey, we're offering 12% yield. And like 5% of that is real it's coming from treasuries or staking but the other yeah. 7% is made up of maybe they're yield farming with your with your eth maybe they're using venture dollars to fund it and like yeah, that's a,
0: I think the, the important the thing, thing, thing to understand like, right now
1: is yeah
0: they they're they're earning and the deposited eth is being converted to STEETH, and potentially going to go
1: through maker as well
0: yeah. so I'm yeah, you're absolutely right. Blast, you you have yeah. to. I'm talking about like no, what no. I'm
1: scared of for the other L2s. But, but it, it
0: will it's going to be an issue for Blast and it will be yeah. for any, like even Maker, right? You have to understand where that yield comes from. And as a rule of thumb, if all of a sudden you're being promised a yield that is material from a- anything else you're doing, like if you're staking your ETH and Lido is giving you 4% and someone comes in and gives you 8 well you you need to pause there and like understand like what's the spread and where it's where it's coming from. Uh and maybe it's part of it is incentivized by the native L2 token, maybe whatever, right? And you have to have a view on that. Um but yeah, like naturally, anything that has a higher yield has higher risk and you yeah. need to understand that. That the the risk that you're taking. So I agree with you. Uh, where, where I think it's going to be <clears throat> interesting. And look, Maker went through this kind of existential crisis where the early, early Maker community was like super OG, very die hard in terms of principles. There was a contingent within the Maker community that was like, this is pre-Defi summer. There was just like, keep it pristine. Die should be only collateralized by the, more, the most pristine asset. And that's Ethereum. Like- Just don't introduce other types of collateral. But then you have a capacity, right? Constraint. Um, As you think about like DAI and and its stability and its growth, uh, it was capped by the amount of ETH, right? And the market cap of ETH. And so as soon as you start introducing other forms of collateral, you migrate to multi-collateral DAI and you introduce USDC. Again, totally different type of collateral. Some of it is more censorship resistant than others. Some of it is riskier than others. I think where people miss the point is oftentimes like so many times in this in this discussion when it comes to crypto, like people think of it in binary terms, like decentralization is a spectrum um censorship and lack there offers it's a spectrum like and I think people we need to think more like that to really yeah. understand the relative riskiness. Obviously, the absolute risk, but also the relative risk uh, and the rationale for introducing – like our argument for proposing multicollateral DAI as a tangent, but I'll be quick, is it's a matter of risk parameters and setting the right risk parameters. Um, because on one hand, if you just are backed by ETH, DAI is not going to go anywhere. The PEG is probably going to like like DPEG and the maker goes to zero because no one cares about this protocol. If you really want to grow and get more demand and get more loans and like CDPs open – like, you have to allow people to, like, mint a die with other collateral types that are important. People use, like, you might have a very strong opinion about USDC, but let me break it, folks. It is the most widely used stablecoin with Tether. There's always a choice. That's that's the point that I'm trying to make. There's always, the nice thing about crypto, is there's always a choice of what you use. Um, but when it comes to, like, protocol economics, I think, yeah, we're going to see more creativeness of like, how this yield is being passed through over to users. Um, and we made a lot. There was a lot of mistakes were made, like in DeFi summer. Like again, it was like a lot of yield farming activity. But like, you're depositing a protocol that's not delivering a product. Yeah. Well, that yield is really not sustainable. Um, so you always have to think about that, right? Yeah. Like treasuries, five percent is that sustainable? interest expense for the U S government is going to amount to 20% of GDP. Is that sustainable? Yeah. Like, I mean, <laughs> we can go on this path. And again, it's like turtles all the way fucking down, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have one more question on blast. Uh, it'd be fun to see how this plays out and I'm excited to chat with PAC, uh, PAC man on the pod. Um, what is it about paradigm that I feel like a, a lot of these experiments on the fringes, whether it's blast mm-hmm. or friend tech, a lot of these, I think they did blur. Um, uh-huh. What is it about Paradigm that like enables them to – to why are they behind what what feels like most of these type of things in crypto from what you know about Paradigm? We should have Matt and Fred and stuff on the pod, but what, what is it about them from maybe having worked with them over the years?
0: I think they're the best stack team in crypto. Like a fund in crypto. You think so? of, of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the proof isn't – like look at what they have did with Uniswap. I think yeah. that was – I always thought that they were my biggest competitor when I was a pair mm. Now I like to invest with them. Mm-hmm. But as, when you're like, of course, Matt takes the Sequoia playbook and a lot of these rounds, like he just cuts everyone out. Right. It's like them and no one else.
1: Like, yeah. He won't let like, other, other folks involved. Yeah, right? Like standard in this case
0: was an interesting one because I, I, that was my biggest objection. I love what they do. I have immense respect. Like, when you see the work that Georgios and Sam, which I wanted to hire a pair, like they have Sam, they have Georgios, they have Dan, like, and a bunch of, I've spoken with another guy called Aaron. Like they, they, they have, when people think about like, if you're a founder and the amount of resources that you're going to get, I think they have the best, the best, most diversified, competent, hmm. like researchers and They may not be an A16Z that has like a hundred like team of operating and PR and all that. But I think when it comes to like really, really like getting deep into helping a project design crypto economic incentives, protocol design and research and security, it's just like they have Sam, like that's it. Like that's your secret nuclear like weapon. (laughs) Like there's no better person in the ecosystem than Sam. Like he's, he's the God, like uh he detects every bug and so that alone like is, is just a reason why you would pick paradigm over anyone else candidly yeah. if, I, if i'm a founder i would take their money over anyone else
1: who would be who are the second and third best in your opinion well you know i'm biased but uh outside of parify um <laughs> uh, well it depends what
0: type of protocol you are right i think i think some funds yeah, are but like 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 parify obviously super like if you're d5 you know, yeah. yeah but there there's other great funds like if you're in asia like obviously you know dragonfly and folias you know folias is an exceptional work like sort you know step in and scroll and uh i think they're really plugged in they do great research and and really help their pro- portfolio companies but it depends on the stage too it's yeah. such a difficult yeah. question right but but like categorically i have an immense respect for paradigm um because they, they've contributed a lot to the space. Now, you know, people may m- not like them. They might think that they're making investments. They, they, you know, are questionable. I, I'll just say, like, uh, I'll just remind people. Because, you know, a lot of people think it's like, oh, you know, like, this is just, you know, a lot of people had very visceral and have very visceral reactions, especially when yeah. they don't participate in rounds. <laughs> and when they have, and when they, the new, income like, when a new company comes in and is Perhaps challenging the value of their bags is look. It's okay. It's a normal reaction. I get it. But I would encourage people to take time to learn. And also, like, I'm just going to say, it. Solana for a long time was not very, uh, not very popular. People were very critical of it. And this was like not even like, that months the most ago. most hated
1: in crypto tend to uh, do. Yeah, that's well. what I'm saying. So- and,
0: and now, of course, Solana is like all the rage. And for rightfully so, like there's just a lot of stuff that had you been paying attention, you know, you would have liked yeah. the team, you would have liked what they're doing, and I think the most important thing is like focus on founders and and the team and their intent to build. Yeah, and if how long they've been here, like God, I mean, the Solana team has been kicked in the nuts like time and time again, but they they keep coming back, and they keep yeah. improving the protocol. Like I look at that, and I have an immense respect for for these builders because building as Kane. Uh, and every other builder that's been that I, I've heard it from a lot of them, it's just like it's super difficult to build, yeah. especially in bear markets. Like you get crucified always, constantly. Things go right, people are like oh, obviously that's your job. People go like, but but even when things are going right, people like have opinions of like, oh, you yeah. know, yeah. all of a sudden this community model, like folks, not because just because you have a token doesn't mean you can all of a sudden barge into board meetings or whatever or like, you right. know, like no. <laughs>
1: like absolutely not stay away um all right last piece of news from this week that i think is uh our Our computer's about to computer's about to die there's uh there was pith but we'll we'll, uh we'll have mike on from pith to talk about pith so we can do a separate pod on that kraken got sued by the sec but binance was the bigger news um coindesk got acquired so coindesk um and i actually just i'm so biased about this that i'd love to hear your take on if i'm overreacting or not but the reason i posted this Twitter thread about it. Right, let me let me give you the story. So basically, um, uh, when uh, when DCG had problems with their balance sheet because of Genesis, Barry put a couple of uh, uh DCG owned companies on on the market, and one of them was was CoinDesk, and uh, they ended up so they in July they had an acquis- uh, had an acquisition or a deal with this guy Matt Rozak, to buy the company for 125 million. Um, as the market kind of stayed flat and, and and actually fell in the end of the summer and like early fall, um, Rosac pulled out and uh, that deal went back on the market. And this company Bullish um, ended up just buying them. Uh, it got announced this week on Monday that that this company Bullish is buying CoinDesk. And I posted this Twitter thread, which was kind of not classy, I would say, but I just wanted to to kind of call out my my thoughts on it. So. I think it's pretty can bad you, Can the, you show it now? How yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll just read it. I'll, say, here's, I'll just reread it. I said the Coindesk bullish acquisition is bad for the industry. Uh, for, first off, bullish is owned by Block One. So, for those who don't remember, Block One created the EOS blockchain. It was supposed to be a faster Ethereum, right? It was part of that original group of ETH competitors who raised during the ICO era. And in May, I'm sure you remember this, Santi, uh, in May 2018, EOS raised $4 billion in the largest ICO ever. And they're the, now the
0: largest, one of the largest uh, Bitcoin holders, by the way.
1: They took that $4 billion, They let it ride in Bitcoin. They're now one of the largest Bitcoin holders in the world. They own more than MicroStrategy. Um, and in July... A <laughs> what?
0: A lot more, yeah.
1: Yeah, they own more than, more Bitcoin than MicroStrategy. Um, and in July 2021, so they've been launching new companies. They, they bought a domain name for $30 million, actually from MicroStrategy and from Sailor called Voice.com, put $150 million bucks in that company. Killed it a year later. Uh, July 2021, uh, Block One launched a new crypto exchange called Bullish with 10 billion in funding. That is billion with a B. What? Yeah, crypto exchange called Bullish with 10 billion in funding. Uh, it was backed by folks like Peter Thiel, Lewis Bacon, Richard Lee, uh, Novogratz, Christian Angermeyer, and today Bullish announced that they're buying CoinDesk. And the reason I think it's so for us is Blockworks is someone who competes against them. Amazing news for us. Like, we, we love to see that. But as someone who loves crypto and genuinely believes that uh, we need, like, now more than ever, we need unbiased media to move the industry forward in a responsible way. This is not good. This would be, this is no different than Binance buying Coindesk or the Na- or NASDAQ buying the Wall Street Journal or BlackRock buying Bloomberg. It crushes, I think, the editorial integrity of the brand. And the reason this kind of hit a I don't know, hit a nerve with me was this comes a couple days after Foresight Ventures, who owns BitGet, also another crypto exchange, bought the block. And I would consider... 80% of the block, yeah. Bought 80% of the block. And I would control Consider the... If you look like the three... I think the three best media companies today in crypto are probably uh, Coindesk, Blockworks, and The Block. I would put those as like the kind of trifecta of crypto media. And it's a bummer... To have two of those three owned by crypto exchanges. I hear you loud and
0: clear. Now, let me ask you a question. We've also seen a host of billionaires like Jeff Bezos of the world go out and buy like the Washington Post. I think he bought And Like, look, there's a reason you could try to, you know, when people buy, you know, news outlets or obviously presents a conflict of interest. Because Bezos has an interest, like people that are behind it in the board obviously have stakes in companies. They have interests in other things. In this case, I think your point is a very good one, which is obviously there's bias, but there's always bias. It's how much bias is too much bias. Mm -hmm. And do you have the proper controls in place to preserve the integrity of the journalists that are reporting? And how involved are you in what gets pushed? And what what makes a story and what doesn't make a story, I think that's the issue. That was the issue with the Block, right? The Block, one of the the former, I think it was the president that got ousted was CEO. He took loans from SBF, and well, he didn't disclose that. And I think it's a matter of this proper disclosure of conflict of interest. Like, look, you've done. It's like I'm in this podcast. I have an opinion on things. I have, I have a lot of investments in the space. It's no surprise. I, mean, I talk when I talk about Coinbase. I'm long coin when I'm talking about, um, blur and blast. I have exposure to that. Of course it'd be stupid and disingenuous for me. One to not disclose it. And two, to not appreciate that. Like it's not going to influence my opinion. And I hope listeners appreciate that. I think when it comes to like, I'm just a guy that sits on a chair to talk about and ramble on shit. It's different if like, I don't own, I'm an investor in blockworks too, but it's a very minor stake. I don't go to you and say, Hey, you need to publish this now. <laughs> like, but like, what's the worst case scenario in your mind? Like they just skew. They all of a sudden now start like pumping EO's bags. And I, I don't know, like what, what's, what's the issue?
1: Cause I, what I'm saying is there's you're, always a. You're right. There. Billionaires like billionaires buying billionaires you buying media been, companies. Is that you know, John, John Henry, right? John Henry, the uh, Boston globe. Bezos, The Post, um, Glenn Taylor, right, The Star Tribune, the Sheldon Adelson, the Las Vegas. He bu- he bought the Las Vegas Review secretly after they were uh, covering him negatively, and he bought it. Like the the list goes on and on. Mark Benioff, Time, um, must
0: buys Twitter.
1: The Thai the Thai billionaire guy, Chit Chat. I don't know how you pronounce his name, but he bought Fortune. Like the list goes on and on. The difference there, I think, is that the, they're they're not they're not buying companies and in industries where they necessarily operate. So like it's it's different to buy like uh someone like the Wall Street Journal where you or maybe the New York Times or something where you're covering everything where when you, we are B2B media companies we are like trade publications essentially where the only thing that we do is cover crypto so every single day CoinDesk is either making a decision to cover bullish or not to cover them and they're making a decision to on how to cover a crypto any of any crypto exchange which are all bullish as competitors so um i think i think barry did a phenomenal job with this uh like barry actually did well early on maybe not as much but later in the last couple of years barry did a great job with with coindesk um they had very good like ethics and policies and real church like real church and state and he genuinely believed uh that good media is good for the industry and what's good for the industry ends up in, in improving his company i don't see this as that type of acquisition yeah. i don't think the brendan bloomer of eos is like what's good for media is good for the industry and what's good for the industry is good for a block one like this yeah. feels like a
0: it, it, yeah absolutely No, i hear your point i'm just kind of like i'm, I'm raising a, a point where i'm like, sure I'm,
1: I'm as biased as you can get with this i actually wanted to hear yeah, yeah. your opinion
0: no um, Like, I think it's a very valid concern. I think, look, at the end of the day, you have to think about, okay, the aggregate purchase price of this is probably de minimis relative to their Bitcoin holdings. And so the question is, you know, if you're a venture fund investing in and buying a controlling stake in a media publication, are you going to lit, you know, money on fire? Because at the end of the day, like, if you're reporting really poorly, I think the chance, like, your investment is going to probably go to zero in the long term. Right. If, if you're a shitty media, you know what I mean? Like if you're comp, if your integrity is compromised, if you're so biased, like people going to wake up to that. And, and I think you're just going to dominate. It's, it's maybe a great position for you guys to just plow ahead and be the most independent, um, you know, there's always some bias, but independent um, media outlet for crypto. And then you just win that game because I'm a big believer at the end of the day, truth prevails and people appreciate good editorial sure. content. Like um, it, it, it is, obviously more sensitive, like the ability to influence narratives is um, probably easier in crypto, of course, right? Because it's an emerging asset class. You know, we're also, by the way, facing challenges when the New York Times and traditional media like also carry a narrative and portray this industry to make headlines that time and time again, they've obviously not portrayed them, you know, in a more in the most favorable way, right? Uh, like over the last 12 months, like over the history of crypto, it's always been the negative headlines that negative headlines sell more than positive headlines. And that's always been the more like demoralizing piece of media because the monetization model is clicks and views and like that just sucks. Right. And yeah. I think I think this is why when I when I interviewed you um, and uh, maybe uh, Mike with vance i think it was vance or uh from michael it was really this opportunity i think that you guys have to embed a lot of like a different monetization model where you don't have to you rely on clicks and sensationalism to make a living like and to make it a profitable enterprise i think you can really yeah. embed nfts you can have greater ownership you can like there's just a lot of things that with micro payments i think you can roll out more interesting creative subscription models i I don't know right but yeah yeah, that that was my i think that's the opportunity you guys have and if all of these new if if the block and coindesk are going to fade into irrelevance because they don't have proper independence as you say between the board and the owner's and the journalists that's going to show up, and they're going to go yeah. to zero because over time these things take care of themselves. you don't have to do anything like if they're so willing to become a very biased media outlet well, guess what i'm not going to read it, and then over time people are not going to read it right so they're just their their market share and their mind share in the space goes to zero. I think the real problem is the New York Times of the world that I think is a bigger problem mm. um especially at a time where you're going to have an e t f approval. You know, Bloomberg has a segment every day, an hour segment of Bloomberg crypto that may or may not continue to exist. But that's just been incredible to see. Right. I mean, what I'm trying to say is there's growing interest for people to learn about this space. It's the only reason why I show up and sit on this chair, because I was just frustrated with people, the pops of the world. It's just like, god damn it. If that's your first interaction. In this space, like, no wonder we haven't gotten mainstream adoption. I don't care how good the product is if people come in here and the first thing that you see are pop up ads and buy this like token like no like no let's let's approach this from first principles and have an honest discussion and a balanced one like we tend to overpromise like guys like tone it down a bit like this tech is really good like we're here our bags are packed our net worth is tied to that's a that's like we're putting ourselves in line but that doesn't give you like, I think it's not a good strategy to go out and say and sell and pump your bags. Like, no, like, let's yeah let's be objective and police ourselves. And look, I think this is, again, just to tie it out, when I see the Coinbase team and their discussion and the way that, like, Brian goes on TV, like, th- that's, I think, that's a good, like, if I were to pick a marketing person for our industry, like, it's not Sailor. <laughs> it's probably someone like Brian. He's not perfect, but, you know, yeah. he guess us closer to someone that just, like, so anyways, I think it's encouraging for you guys It's motivating for me because yeah, like the challenge is I think everyone here, if you have an audience, no matter how big I think you have a responsibility to stay balanced and vigilant um, and push like as pristine of education as you can raise awareness. I mean, you know, everyone has a bias. I have a bias of course on my yeah. portfolio. Of course. Yeah. It's impossible so- to eliminate like this. This is, who we are. It's just
1: by nature of being an investor, but you know. Yeah. Good bug, man. My, uh, my our computer's pan. on 2%. So I'm. Uh, is it? All I'm right. Well, that, does my... that mean that
0: you're going to shut down for the rest of Thanksgiving?
1: Anyways, super. <laughs>
0: if you celebrate Thanksgiving, I think it's the best holiday. It's my favorite holiday. I'll be celebrating. I sure as no uh, Yano and our producer uh, is also going to do it. So anyways, for everyone that's been listening, thank you uh for listening. It's very encouraging when we uh hear the good and the bad and what people like and don't like. So really thank you, uh everyone. It's uh one of the more fun things that I do like on a weekly
1: basis. Enjoy your Thanksgiving folks. See you next week. Friday. Hey everyone, thank you so much for watching today's episode. Really hope you enjoyed it. We wanted to take a second to just remind you about our upcoming Digital Asset Summit in London, March 18th to 20th. Santi and I got your back. Seats are limited and we hooked you up with a 20% off discount code. It is EMPIRE20. If you heard it early in the podcast, there's a little competition running at Blockworks to see who can drive the most number of tickets. So when you register for the Digital Asset Summit, make sure you use our code EMPIRE20. See you in London.